The first problem to an obstacle is your perception. We decide what we will make of each and every situation. Our perceptions are the thing that we're in complete control of. We face things that are intimidating, and then we promptly decide we're screwed. This is how obstacles become obstacles. There is no good or bad without us. There is only perception. There is the event itself and the story we tell ourselves about what it means. This week, I want you to recognize your power over your perceptions. I'm Curtis. My buddy over there is Joe, and we are Dudes in Progress. Hey, Joe. What's shaking, dude? I am ready to record another episode of Dudes in Progress with my buddy Joe. That's good, because here we are recording. I know. Seems like we just <laughs> talked like, what? didn't we just record Friday? <laughs> Was it Friday? We got to catch up. Yes, or Thursday. We got to get ahead is what we need to do. I want to get ahead. I like this topic, though, on stoicism. My wife and I were listening to the last two episodes. We got a little bit behind in listening. We take a ride up to north of where I live here in Connecticut, into Sharon, Connecticut, and to see her mom, who's in a nursing home. At least we try once a week. And we listen to Dudes in Progress, and she makes fun of me. I've come to look forward to the wife review. <laughs> she was saying, we were talking about the incident I had, a little health incident, my ride to the, we were going to the doctor on Friday, and she said, well, I had one of my fits where... I start driving, and I make a left-hand turn, and this car just comes zooming right up behind me. I'm not good with people, and I have the my road rage, Joe. And her first thing is like, wow, I guess you're really not improving on yourself very much. Yeah, we're all a work in progress, right? <laughs> That's what I told her. I laughed it off. So. so so I'll share. Can I share a similar story? Yeah. So I'm at, we're taking, we had the grandkids this weekend, and we are taking them to the museum center here in Cincinnati, the museum center and primarily taking them to see the Lego exhibit, which is pretty cool. And everybody's in line. It's raining, raining, like, like you wouldn't believe. And everybody's in line to kind of drop their family off at the front door. So then they go park and one person gets wet, right? Usually the dad or the grandpa. Yeah. So I'm dropping my family. So I'm in line and a space opens up right in front of the building because a, a car pulled away. Typically what happens if you follow my rules and generally accepted rules of driving etiquette is well, that car, the car behind it will pull up and everybody kind of takes their turn waiting in line to drop their family off. Right? Right. Well, this lady decides she's going to come from all the way in the back of the line Swing around the left-hand side and fill that gap. She cut you off. Not only cut me off, but jumped the line by 12 cars because she saw a gap up there and yeah. decided to come in. And instead of the car yeah. behind the gap, having the chance yeah. to drive up and fill in the gap. Right? Wow. Yeah, that's what I said, that's... along with some other colorful words. <laughs> you lost your patience. And so what I did, instead of saying, you know what, I don't know what's going on in her life. I don't know what's going on. Maybe she's just in some kind of weird hurry and it is what it is. What I decided to do is I pull up 
and double park her. She can't and get out. So, <laughs> so now she can't get out until I get out. Right. Right. And it seemed like the car ahead of her knew what I was doing because yeah. they didn't move <laughs> until I moved. So there's patience for you. Is that what you're teaching your grandkids? Yeah. <laughs> I might've taught them a couple new words too during that time. <laughs> well, Joe, we talked about perceptions a little bit last week. We'll go dig into this topic because we're getting into a book obstacle is the way by Ryan holiday. And he's got three sections to this book. I've read the one on perception. We'll talk about today. Second section is about action. And the third is will your will. But let's dig into perception. What'd you think of my intro? The first problem to an obstacle is your perception. Absolutely. And if you just let that sink in for a second, my automatic perception of that lady pulling up ahead is that she's a jerk. Right. She's a jerk. She doesn't know the rules. She has no etiquette. She was probably raised by monkeys. And she deserves a lesson. That was my first perception, right? Right. When it could be, and I didn't wait to see that, it could have been anything. It could have been that she had a special needs child in the car that was in a bit of anxiety, so she needed to make this happen right away. It could have been a dozen other things that I didn't think of, but I had a perception that may or may not have been wrong. Perception. Most time people just don't pay attention. Right. Probably something. They want what they want and they're going to go. Yeah. They're not paying attention at all. Right. What the etiquette is. Right. Well, you're following the etiquette. There. Right. Right. Yeah. There's no good or bad without us. There's only perception. There is the event itself and the story we tell ourselves about what it means. Well, this week, I want you to recognize your power, Joe, or your perceptions. And we do have that power, right? We do. We talked about that last week. So we're going to dig into it. Give you some more examples. I want to get some stories for out of Joe. He's good for some stories. I've got some okay, that we can use to make our point. I think this book does a good job of that. You were talking about contemporary stories. I don't know. John Rockefeller, you know, the wealthy John Rockefeller. Mm -hmm. He has a quote. Oh, how blessed young men are who have to struggle for a foundation and beginning in life. He once said, I shall never cease to be grateful for the three and a half years of apprenticeship and the difficulties to be overcome along the way. Joe, can you remember any struggles you ever had in some of your first job or jobs that you had to oh, overcome? In my jobs. Yeah. Your work life. So if I'm looking, if I'm thinking way back to an early job that I had, yes. since you since you said first jobs, yep. I worked at Ponderosa. I don't know if how many Ponderosas there are left in the nation. Not many. I don't know any around here, but there was a time at Ponderosa where the servers didn't accept tips or it wasn't common to tip the servers. Well, I, that. My problem was I need it to make money and I have this job. I got to figure out how to make more money than what this job pays, but I'm also not this job. So I figured out a way to encourage tips in a restaurant that you weren't supposed to tip. Okay. 
And the only way that I could do that was to provide an extremely good dining experience, do stuff that nobody else was doing. Now, I was pretty young at the time. So I decided to do a few things, two things specifically that dramatically increased my tips in a restaurant that you're not supposed to tip. How about that? The first thing that I did is instead of waiting for people, if you remember, have you been to a Ponderosa, Kurt? I'm sure I have, but it's been okay. some time. Here's the, you'll recognize the experience. Ponderosa, Bonanza, there's a couple other, mm -hmm. there's a couple of places like this. You walk in, you grab a tray, you grab silverware and napkins. Then you walk through the line, pushing your tray along a rail or three rails, actually. And you look up at a menu with all sorts of steak meal options, ribeye steaks, T-bone steaks, porterhouse steaks, sirloin steaks, New York strip. You could all, you could order all these steak options and you tell what you tell the cook or whoever it is there, what you want it. They gave you a number and you got your drink and you moved over to the cashier. You kept sliding your way through. Now you have your drink, your meat, not your meal yet. You just have your drink and you tell your, and you pay for it. They give you a little number on a triangle and you go, you, and you kind of, you're sitting there holding your tray and you look for a table to sit. You're self-serving. Right. Right. What I decided to do was I decided to meet them at the cash register and take their tray for them. Whoever the lead person was, you can't carry everybody's tray, but whoever the lead person was, usually the person who paid for the meal, I would take their tray and take them to my section. All right. Now, my job really as a server at the time was just to get their drinks and bring them their meal when it came up. Not take the order, not all that other stuff. Right. Just whatever meal number, whatever number was on the ticket, like number 12, I matched that up with number 12 and brought it to them. That's the one thing I did. I took, I, I met them at the cash register and took them to my section. So my section was always full. All right. Then what I did is I would plant tips on the table. I would take a few dollars out of my own pocket and where did you learn plant this? tips on the table? It's an ingenious I don't plan. know where I learned it. I just so what I did is it looked like okay, then I met him there at the table and I grabbed my own money out of my pocket and put it in my pocket. Obviously, it was a tip that that the table left before me, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. You set so the standard. That was the second thing that I did. So there actually I said two, there's actually three things. So that was the second thing I that I did. The third thing that I did is if there were kids at the table, I would ask their parents' permission in a whisper, hey, do you mind if I buy your kids a Sunday? They've been just so they've just been so good. Can I just buy your kids a Sunday? And I would say it in a quiet way in case the parents said no. Now, back then, Sundays were like 69 cents, something like that. 80% mm -hmm. of the time, they would say, yeah, sure, that's fine. Oh, we'll take care of it. And I said, no, I, I want to do this. And I would pay for the Sunday out of my own pocket for all the kids. Wow. Let me tell you something, Kurt. That increased my tips, the amount of my tips, by 35%. Mm, brilliant. Yes. So my problem was, you asked me what the struggles of a, a first job or an early job, I don't know how you ordered it, but the struggle was I needed to make money. 
Yeah, I got more it. money than on what I was being paid. Right. And that's how I overcame it. Came up with a creative solution. Yes. And I did that for about six months. Okay. Right. After six months, this is the truth. Ponderosa decided that they would put all the servers on tip wages because I was making minimum wage plus tips and tip wages is less than that is, was like, right. $2 an hour or something like that. I think minimum wage was three something an hour and the tip wage was a dollar 80 or something like that. an hour, right. some ridiculous number. Uh, now you got another problem. Well, I'm convinced that I caused that problem, <laughs> but that's how that, that was my struggle. My struggle was, yeah. or the problem was I needed to make more money. And that's how I, that's how I overcame that issue very early in my fantastic career. I'm not going to take up a lot of time with this. I'll just, my first job while I was still in high school, 16 years old, was working at a local grocery store. All the kids would tell me how horrible of a place this was to work. The manager, the guy who owned the place, he was really the owner, big, tough Italian guy, really demanded certain things that you treated the customers similar to what you speak of, Joe. We had to carry the groceries out for certain people. He would, he was always over in the corner watching what's going on and how we treated customers. And I was a bagger. They wouldn't let me get on the cash register back in those days. <laughs> I would bring groceries, pack them up, but he, and then we cleaned the floors at night and there were certain duties that we did besides if it was quiet, but he was very demanding and it didn't bother me so much because my parents were demanding. Mm -hmm. Other kids couldn't last a week with this guy. I ended up making quite a nice little job out of it. Even going, when I went off to college, he put a lot of faith in me and trust in me. And I even went to picnics at his house. That awesome. was beautiful. I remember riding a motorcycle at his house. I would get invited to family events. And whenever I wanted to work, when I was home from college, although I didn't do a lot of it, I did come back and I always had a job there waiting for me. When it was hard to find jobs back at that particular time when I was in school. So dealing with a difficult boss, I learned during that first struggle of that first, well, your first job's tough too. You don't know what to expect. Right. Never worked before for someone else. Why did you ask that question? Well, that was part of John Rockefeller's thing that... You learn from struggles. Mm -hmm. Don't perceive something. If it's just because it's tough, doesn't mean that there's not something you can learn from those struggles. And these mistakes that you make early on, they become training. That's mm -hmm. where you learn the mistakes. You may think of any mistakes you made that became training in your early. Oh my, oh my gosh. That, that's easier. <laughs> I've got so many that I'm not sure I can think of. I can think of one. Well, you think, um, let me go first. Yeah. Why don't you go first? I was really thinking of the many different jobs. I just trying to think of what I wanted to do with my life early on, even coming out of college, the different jobs that I applied for. I had a marketing degree out of college and I tried to get into a sales position. I, I went several interviews deep into that. They did end up telling me that they really needed to hire a woman at the end of the day. <laughs> So that was the very beginning, maybe of affirmative action or something, but they did actually do say, this is probably not the right line of work for you. They did a lot of personality studies on me. I went out with the salespeople. I wasn't that crazy about it. 
I was a little disappointed though, because I went so far in the in that. I remember after even getting my first job, I thought, you know what? I was doing customer service for a bearing manufacturer, my first job out of college. That was hard. Talk about struggles. Oh my gosh, that was a tough job. Taking a beating from customers because parts are late. But I tried to look at social work. I remember going to a school we have here close by that works with kids that are in trouble. They get put into this school. It was like a high school. And I liked working with kids. I enjoyed that. But when I ever saw the pay, I wasn't making a lot of money at the time. And it was much less than what I was making. I was like, oh, I could do this kind of work voluntarily. I don't need to do it as a career. I even tried to do, remember, they even had sell frozen foods that would be delivered to your door. Even back then, there was some, Mm -hmm. Colorado Prime, I think was the name of the company. How do I remember that? That's amazing. I went on sales calls, like in-home calls with people. I looked at insurance. Oh my gosh. I tried so many things before I got down the technology path. So those were my mistakes. I tried several other kinds of avenues of what might be my future. And they were all mistakes. But I learned from each one of them. I realized what I didn't want to do. Kurt, I can think of so many mistakes that I've made. So for some reason, this one popped into my head. I was having some work done at a car dealership. It was a car dealership where a friend of mine was the used car manager. Really good friend of mine. And I was having some work done. I went over to say hi to him. And and he said, what's going on, Joe? And I said, I'm just sitting here waiting for a ride. I'm getting my car worked on. He said, are you having it done here? I said, yeah, right over in the shop. He said, why don't just take this car? And he gave me keys to, a, I think it was a Ford Sable was the car. Ford Sable. And it was wintertime and it was snowing. And I said, well, well, thanks, man. And I, and it was me and my daughter in the car. And I buckled her, I put the car seat in the car and dropped her off at daycare. After dropping her off at daycare, it was snowing and I was going too fast. And the car slid off the side of the road and hit a culvert. Culvert is a pipe. We, I call them a culvert. It's a pipe that runs underneath the driveway as a, and goes into a draining ditch. Okay, so you have a draining ditch mm-hmm. on the side of the road. You have a driveway, and the culvert is a pipe that goes underneath the driveway so the water can t- continue to flow. Well, I slid off the side of the road, hit a culvert, and the car rolled end over end. This is a car that a friend of mine out of the goodness of his heart, let me borrow. And I was young and I had to go to him and tell him what happened. It broke my heart to do it. Right. To go to him because here's a friend that was doing me a favor and I didn't take care enough to make sure that I honored that favor. I was just driving too fast, not paying attention, filling all the blanks. That led to this accident. And he was very gracious about it. Very gracious. So there's a couple lessons that I learned from that. The most important lesson is don't take advantage of somebody's generosity. Take it, take their generosity and honor it. Honor if somebody's let you, if somebody let you borrow something, be careful with it. If somebody lends you money, pay it back. And ever since then, anytime anybody has done me a favor, 
at any level, I've tried to honor that favor by taking care of yeah. whatever it is to fill in the blank. That was I also learned and I also learned about graciousness because our friendship didn't miss a beat. Wow. That weekend he invited me over his house and we had beers together. Wow. <laughs> and that was a tough lesson to learn. Yeah, it stuck with you. That was a it, that was a tough lesson to learn, but luckily no. So again, hurt. what I got out of that was take care of somebody's take care of the generosity people give you, and it was an early lesson in graciousness mm. and how somebody offered grace to me. Fantastic, Joe. Thanks for bringing that, Sharon. And we're talking about perception, but I want you, Joe, to recognize your power. Everybody, recognize your power. I mentioned this story a little bit. I'll give you a little quote from Reuben Carter. We, we said he was wrongly accused of a triple murder. Now, that's an obstacle. Hopefully none of us ever have anything this dramatic. But he looked at the warden in, in the eye, proceeded to inform him and the guards that he was not giving up the last thing he controlled himself. In his remarkable declaration, he told them in so many words, I know you had nothing to do with this injustice that brought me to this jail. So I'm willing to stay here until I get out, but I will not under any circumstances be treated like a prisoner because I am not and never will be powerless. That really stuck to me that he had this, what do you call it? I mean, definitely. Well, he's a powerful person. He was a heavyweight champion. This internal fortitude, this internal right. power within him. Yeah. That he was going to somehow beat this case. And he put all of his energy into the legal case. Every waking minute was spent reading law books, philosophy, history. Just because other people say something is hopeless or crazy or broken doesn't mean that it is. Hmm. I was thinking back, I don't know if you've ever had a situation like this too, but I remember probably the thing that kept me up most nights raising three kids that were young was losing my job. I was the only income producer. You and I have talked about this both being that case. Probably the most important thing to me. Nothing really would bother me other than the thought of losing my job. And I can remember things weren't going well at the company I was working for. This was back about 2002, 2003. My manager said, we, let's go into the cafeteria. And he basically looked at me and said, well, they're coming for you. Just like that. Like, they're coming for me? Because our headquarters was in Charlotte, North Carolina. They were flying up to give many of us layoff papers. Mm. Now, I kind of knew in one way it was coming. But, you know, in terms of perception, what I wanted to say that I learned during this experience, there's a couple of things I learned from this experience. But, of course, I was kind of devastated at that moment, for sure. One guy in the office was elated. And you know why he was elated? Because he was working remote at the time. This goes back 20 years ago. He was already in his retirement home. I think it was out west somewhere. I remember always talking about it. He really got a golden parachute package. Wow. He probably was ready to retire at any moment. Totally different perception on the exact same news. And I'm like, look at that. Isn't that interesting how I'm devastated? And he's... Happy is because he got a better deal than 
He probably would have he just retired. So if you look at that situation, Kurt, how could you had a how could you have had a different perception? How could you have looked at it differently? Thinking back to it now. I think I've always had a lack of confidence in my ability. Let's call it in this section, it's recognize your power. There was also another force that put me in this place too, which was the outsourcing of IT resources at this point, which was heavy at the time. If it weren't for that and the job market not being that great, I probably wouldn't have been as devastated. And I had a very unique skill and a very specific technology that made me think I might have to move to use that skill. But you don't realize technology is one of these things that you, those skills translate into other technologies. You don't know that until you learn. I've learned that since, but yeah. And I can remember us being in a meeting after that. We had 60 days. People were really scared of their next opportunity because of the outsourcing that was going, but we did get through it. And I know a lot of people landed on their feet looking back on it. Wow. But in the moment it was devastating. Oh, very much so. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I didn't want to miss a paycheck. I knew that. So if I think about something in my life that maybe was felt hopeless or crazy or people didn't think it was a, a good move, this is actually very relevant right now in this moment for me. Right. Is I had a period of time where I was between jobs and we were down to almost nothing. Right. Yeah. And I heard about a little part-time job at a manufacturing company. And this little part-time job was a sales job. It was almost a, not even a sales job. It was just kind of a administrative customer outreach kind of job. Part-time. Mm -hmm. Didn't pay very much at all. And people were thinking, what, what are you doing taking this part-time job? What are you doing here? This is crazy. You need to do, you need to go do something else. And so that little part-time job, I worked really hard at it and it did seem hopeless and it did seem crazy to take this part-time job where I've never had any experience in manufacturing. All of my jobs in the past have been in the service industry or in some kind of outside sales, which I did very well. But this little part-time job. I went in and I said, okay, well, let's see what happens. Let's just see what happens. And I saw a couple opportunities for improvement. I saw that I had some talents that, that they didn't have. And I recognized that I could bring something unique to the table. A year later, they offered me a full-time position. A year later, mm -hmm. they offered me a full-time position. And I stayed with that company for 14 years. Wow. For 14 years. And... My income grew, my bonuses grew, I was promoted to a fairly prestigious position within the organization. Some things happened that I kind of got burned out and I kind of had a, my mindset got twisted a little bit and I left that job three years ago, over three years ago, three and a half years ago for another job that seemed pretty good. That seemed pretty well, paid well, good benefits. Well, I left that job and went back <laughs> to the other company and I have in the position that I have now is even better than the position that I left in every way, 
better benefits, mm. more money, working for a person that I really have a lot of respect for. And it's a very prestigious position within the organization. But at the time, when I took that little part-time job, it seemed stupid. It seemed crazy. It seemed hopeless. But I had to make the best of the situation that I had in the moment. I'm going to relate. Well, I'm going to continue the story. So what did I do? I had 60 days before I was going to get a severance. I had a good severance. You're really inspiring me to tell and finish the story. I might have left people hanging. I lost oh, cool. my job. Yeah. I had 60 days. I was going to get a nice severance package. It was negotiated. The company I was working for was bought out by this other company. And fortunately, they negotiated some nice severance packages. So it was more than I probably would have been qualified for otherwise. I'd been there about five years. I contacted a friend who went to another company earlier, about a year before. She was working with us and we started letting go contractors. And I said, hey, by the way, looks like I'm losing my job here. You have anything going on? This was actually before I got the notice, maybe about a week before. I was starting to put some feelers out already. So no, we don't have anything. We've got a contractor here. She's doing all right. I'm, she says, I'm doing some other things. I'm doing project management. But hey, if anything happens, I'll let you know. Okay. Like a week goes by, I said, oh, by the way, I lost. I am losing my job. So if anything happens with that contractor, let me know. Maybe another week goes by. She calls me in a panic. It's like, we just lost our contractor. Her husband got another job, moving to New Jersey. When can you start? And I went, wow. On a contract, I would start with a six-month contract, not a full-time employee, with no promise of being a full-time employee. Matter of fact, they said the technology I was working in, they were trying to get out of, but I would be helping in training someone else to carry that for her and said, okay, I ended up negotiating, getting my severance early. So I ended up double dipping. I got my severance and got a job within a month of that notice. And that six month contract has turned out to be 19 years at the current. Oh my gosh. Company I'm working for right now to take a long, take it down the path. That's fantastic. Matter of fact, the technology that they told me was going away. I have a project right now I was working on today trying to replace one of those applications that I wrote about 15 years ago in a new technology. That's outstanding. I mean, you talk about being hopeless. <laughs> I had no other. She was like, this is only for six months. I said, yeah, I know. Within a month of me coming over, we, the company I'm working for bought another company and we had to merge all of the systems. And the person I was supposed to train was very important in that merger which lasted over 18 months. And by that time they had to hire me because you can't have a contractor 18 months or they're technically employees of the IRS. Right. So that's how I ended up there. And it's a hard company to get into. So Joe, let's look at some of the things that got us through. What did, you, what did we do right? What was our solutions? It talks about controlling your emotions, keep an even keel. He gives an example of Ulysses S. Grant. I think of also, we talked about George Patton, these guys, these generals sitting in the middle of a battle while the bombs are going off and able to control the battle, even while things are exploding going on all around them. So control your emotions, keep an even keel. Of course, I was upset, but at some point you got to move into action, right? You got to choose to see the good in any situation. You talk about that all the time. And that is about perception. 
Right. I could have gone into that job or you could have gone into that job with the mindset of, oh, it's only part time. Yeah. Oh, only, what was only, me? I'll be out of here in six months. months. Be out of here in six months. It's only part time. But we recognized that there may be an opportunity. Oh, I was motivated. It was a big company. I right. was going to, I mean, I was pretty much this way all the time, but I'm going to show them they're not going to want to get rid of me. That was my mindset too. Right. Once I saw that I brought something of value yes. and I had something that they didn't, I realized I'm going to show them something. I'm going to show them what they're missing by not bringing me on yeah. full time. He uses it in one of the chapters, alter your perspective. He talks about George Clooney early in his career, trying to get acting jobs, just getting rejected by auditions all the time until he changed his perspective. Not it's me. Hey, it's me. I'm looking for a job, but what's it like on the other side for the casting director? What is it they're looking for? What are the producers? What are they, what is it they want? What do I bring that can match what they need? And we switch that whole perspective around. The difference between the right and the wrong perspective is just everything. And realizing that we have control over our response, right? Yep. Yeah, similar to your first job at the Ponderosa. Was that the Ponderosa? Yeah. Okay, I got it right. You changed everything there to get some tips. Similar to George Clooney. And you talk about, there were people that were mad at me. Right. I remember you, that, you've relayed the story to me. This is one of the ones I've heard before. That they weren't willing to do what I was doing. Yeah. But they didn't want me to do it because it affected them. They could have just as easily said, man, Taylor's doing this and look how many people are in his section. I'm going to do that. But instead, their mindset was just to complain to the manager. That's not how they're supposed to do it. Mm. And eventually I would have customers come in and want to sit in my section. Right. And so I was the only section full. I love that. Little and Joe Taylor. <laughs> I was the only section full. And you had a clientele. Uh, yeah. At the Ponderosa. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, it was kind of like that. I love it. It was I know. funny. It was funny. We talked about this too. Live in the present moment. He gives some examples of companies started in tough times. The Coors Company, Depression of 1873, Costco, Recession of the late 1970s, Revlon, Great Depression, 1932, General Motors, the Panic of 1907. It goes on and on, all these great companies. Microsoft, the Recession of 1973 to 75. So you get all worked up like I had the same thing going on in the IT world. All the contractors were from overseas. A lot of work was being done overseas. And you really get yourself worked up and intimidated by overthinking this. What if you just got to work? You'd probably already be done with it already. Yeah. Just go to work and see what happens, right? Those who survive it survive because they took things day to day. That's the real secret. Focus on the moment, not the monsters that may or may not be up ahead of you. We talked that we talked about that before about focusing in the moment. Yeah. And that the only time we have is right now. I can't remember what the quote was from Marcus Aurelius, I think it was, but it, it talked about the only real freedom. I think the only real freedom that we have is right now. So here we got to do, Joe, you got to prepare to act. Problems are rarely as bad as we think, or rather they are precisely as bad as we think. 
It's a huge step forward to realize that the worst thing to happen is never the event, but the event of and the losing of your head. Because then you'll have two problems. One of them unnecessary and the other one after the fact. We all have to make assumptions in life. We have to weigh the costs and benefits. No one's asking you to look at the world through rose-colored glasses. No one is asking for noble failure or martyrdom. But boldness is acting anyway, even though you understand a negative and the reality of the obstacle. Decide to tackle what stands in your way, not because you're a gambler defying the odds, because you've calculated them and boldly embraced the risk. After all, now that you've managed perceptions properly, what's next is to act. Are you ready? That's amazing, Kurt, because it really, it, there's some weird science fiction-y kind of thing going on here in my head as I think about this. We have a perception, and perceptions are reality, right? To us, yeah. Perceptions are reality. Your reality, yep. So we have a reality. And what is reality? Reality is what, what is truly there, okay? What we fail to realize is in any given moment, we can choose an alternate reality and act on an alternate reality in every, in the purest form. It may seem like a simple concept, but it really is kind of mind blowing. If you think about it, that there are alternate realities out there that you can act upon just by changing your perception. Yeah. You won't like Babe Ruth said, you'll, what is it? You'll miss every hit. You don't swing at. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> He was also the strikeout king. That's right. He was. He led the league yeah. in home runs and strikeouts. That's right. Because he swung the bat, right? Yep, you miss everyone. Do you, you know what his at. reality was? His reality was, I'm going to hit that ball each time I swing that bat. Yeah. That was his reality. I'm going to hit a long way, too. Right. Because <laughs> you don't, why even try swinging the bat if you don't think you're going to have a chance at hitting it, right? So his reality was, I'm going to hit that ball every time I swing that bat. Boy, as a little league coach, that used to drive me nuts because I was a free swinger when I was a kid. Yep. I swung it too much. Yep. I, sw I would swing at bad balls, but. You know, that's a really interesting lesson to little leaguers because when you see a kid that won't swing the bat, first of all, God bless him, right? I mean, he's <laughs> it used to a, drive me nuts. As he's a in a weird position. Yeah. He's in a, it does intimidated. Drive crazy. They're intimidated. They're scared. Sometimes intimidated, scared. What they're really hoping for is not for them to make something happen. They're living in it. Their mind is in a space hoping that somebody else makes a mistake. Yeah. They walk them. Yeah. They're hoping that if I don't swing the bat, maybe they'll make a mistake. Yeah. I'll be on first And that base. really is no way to live. I know. That's right. There you go. So we'll get into the act part of part two on my next review of the obstacles, the way Ryan holiday, well, Joe, really good discussion, Kurt, really good discussion. I, yeah, I like these questions. I do about overcoming your a struggle at an early job and making a mistake that ended up being training or a lesson. I just, mm. those are really questions that, that make you look back to your past and realize that there are a lot of things that we found a way to overcome. Right. That we didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel at first. Right. So it's good. You don't want to live in the past, but it's good to take a step back. Right. And ask yourself these Especially questions. Especially if you're going through something 
similar to that. Hey, I had one of those recruiters that I've never forget this when he said this to me when I was, I actually had to get a recruiter, even though I kind of had the job already because of my friend. Mm -hmm. He made a comment to me, has there ever been a problem that you really felt like you've never solved, at least in the IT work? And I went, that is a really cool question. I was like, you know what? No, I pretty much have solved every problem, troubleshooted and found a way to do something that I was asked to do ever since I've been doing this. So then you'll be fine. Wow. It's like, wow. Yeah. I was like, what a great perspective. Joe, did you have a win for the week? There's an obvious one. I think we've already talked about, or do you have something else? Well, actually I I talked, I've talked a couple of times about the new job and that could be considered a win for the week that I started the new job and Mm-hmm. The first day was fantastic. Yeah. The first day was today and was fantastic. Tomorrow is going to be even more interesting because today was a work at home day for 80% of the mm. staff. And so tomorrow is really an opportunity to go in and see a lot of people I haven't seen. Yeah. I'm excited time. for you. But my real win for the week is I've been off of my morning routine for quite a while and it's in I can feel the effects of it. I can feel the effects of it in energy during the day and focus. When you have a good morning routine and you follow it, in the morning, you have a sense of accomplishment. Very early in the morning, you followed a routine, you've maybe read some, you've exercised, whatever it might be. There's early wins every morning when you follow a morning routine. And I started back to a morning routine and I'm feeling pretty good about it. It's the same morning routine that I've had in the past. Mm. It worked then. I don't know why it wouldn't work now. And I think back to James Clear's Atomic Habits when he says, don't worry about the results. Just fall, just fall in love with the process. Mm-hmm. When did and, you and start? I just, How many days you into this? A week? One. One day. Today? One day. Today. We got a big new beginning for Joe. I'm looking forward to hearing all about yeah. How things are going. Very excited for you, Joe. Absolutely. Pretty proud of it. How about you? Yeah, I completed the first upgrade of an application I released a couple of months ago. Fixed the major issue. I had a rough Friday night getting this to work. Had some obstacles, but today went pretty well. First day everyone's in there using it. It's got a better foundation for upgrades in the future. So I won't have the problem I had on Friday. So I'm excited. My application has been upgraded, fixed a major issue, and we'll move forward from there. Start putting some more, got some more maintenance things that they want to do, but I'm excited about that. I've got like three major projects at work right now, juggling at the same time, but that was fun to get that completed. Awesome. It's always good to check something big off the the list, right? Yeah. And we work in an agile software development should be agile, meaning small releases, a lot of them. Don't try to do a big bang all the time. I'd like to get to that structure with this application. I think I can. Resource for the week, Joe. A couple Father's Days ago, my daughter got me a journal. It's a special journal. It's called Your Father's Story. And it's a journal where you, the journal asks you questions like, what was it like growing up and doing this? What was my grandfather like? What was my grandmother like? Those types of questions. What kind of, what was the most important thing 
that you what is what's the thing you could you thought of most as a child or whatever the questions like that and it's called your father's story it's a journal yes i have that my son gave do me, you one of my youngest son gave me that as i'm filling this out now it's been a couple of father's days that she's given it to me and honestly i'm just now re-engaging it mm-hmm. and i'm reading this thing and i'm like this is just a beautiful gift yeah it's right up your alley it's a beautiful <laughs> gift to me And it's a beautiful gift for me to give back to her, to take the time to fill this out. But it's meaty. It is, yes. It's meaty. I mean, it's a thick book that's going Mm -hmm. to take some time. So what I've decided to do is I'm just going to write one sentence every day in it instead of writing a whole narrative. And then I'm going to go back and do it again and give a little more detail. And then I'll probably do that over the next... I don't know, a couple of years maybe. And then eventually I'll, I'm going to give it back to her. Yeah. Great project. But I just, I love this thing. It's very insightful. I, yeah. My son, Ben, give me one of those and maybe I'll follow you. I got to find it though. I don't know where it is. Your father's story. Good one. My resource, a podcast. It's also part of YouTube. Someone I follow, Graham Cochran did an episode, his latest episode in his podcast and YouTube channel is called TEDx Speaker Tips to make your content irresistible. And there's three things he talks about when you're giving a speech that he did a lot of training to learn how to do a TEDx speech. And they talk about the problems. Be very specific, solve one problem. Don't go all over the place. Be very focused on what the problem is. Give the solution through storytelling and then leave with some actions that you can take. Those are the three things to focus on when you're doing irresistible content. And that couldn't be for a podcast. And maybe you noticed a little bit of that in my content this week. I stated the problems. We use stories to tell some solutions. And then there's some actions in those stories that you can take. Great formula. Yeah, I like that. That can be used in so many different content environments. Blogs. Yeah. Doing a speech. All right, Joe, let's. Finish up with our quote for the week. Mine comes from, I've quoted this guy a lot. I've talked about him a lot. We've talked, I think I've talked about him in the past episode and the episode before, because I really like his book. And a lot of people like his book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. But I like this quote based on what we've been talking about. So again, from Viktor Frankl, author of Man's Search for Meaning, between stimulus and response, there is a space in that space is our power to choose our response in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Oh, that's so true. There's a lot of, hopefully there is space in your response. I think that's important. Well, the space is always there. Yeah. The space is always there. You know, sometimes you have if you, stimulus and you have a response, if you give yourself enough space, you can have, probably have a better response. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's a good point. Recognize that you can give yourself that space. Yeah. Yeah. You got a decision you're trying to make. The more time you can, if you have the time, you usually can come to a better plan of action. Some people just respond emotionally immediately, and that usually gets you in trouble. Last week, I think my quote from last week came from Marcus Aurelius that talked about not entertaining negative thoughts, basically, was the whole idea. Mm-hmm. The idea that, hey, this thought, this thing, this 
whatever it might be, Viktor Frankl calls it a stimulus. It can show up. You have no control over that. It's going to show up. But kind of melding those two quotes together, Viktor Frankl says that in that space is our power to choose. In that space is our, is our power to entertain that thought, that thing, whatever it might be. Between stimulus and response, there's that tiny little yeah. space. I like that because I am so analytical. I agree with that so much. How about your quote? Change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. Wayne W. Dyer. Yeah, Wayne Dyer. Change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. Wayne Dyer is one of those really deep metaphysical thinkers that when you go back and he's he's gone now, but when you go Mm. back and read his stuff or listen listen to his talks, Wow. A mm. lot of wisdom. He would a be on PBS. Like, yeah. We'd go and flipping through the channels on a Sunday night and he'd be giving a PBS talk and you're like, Oh, I get caught up and he was a very nice, very good guy. Yeah. A calming force. Yeah. There's a calming force. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect for that. Joe, where can they find dudes in progress? We need some folks to reach out to us and ask us questions, give us some topics, support well, us a little bit. Our website is dudes in progress dudesinprogress.com, dudesinprogress.com. If you want to email us, it's very simple, dudes at dudesinprogress.com. On the website, is you can listen to past episodes. It desperately needs to be updated, I know. You can listen to past episodes. There are links to our Patreon account if you want to support the show. There are links to our Facebook page if you want to go to our Facebook page. And you can email us at dudesinprogress.com. Well, as we wrap up, Kurt, let's remember progress is better than perfection. So let's keep moving forward. Yeah. Perception is important too, Joe. Let's try to do better perceiving things this coming week. We sure will. Talk to you soon, my friend.